I just returned from Israel, and friends, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Israel is the most fascinating country in the world, and Jerusalem is the most exciting city on the planet. And we're going to be talking about that, as well as the Sea of Galilee. So today's program, we're going to talk specifically about my visit to Jerusalem. That'll be part one. And then later, we're going to release another part, another segment to the interview with Tom Short that'll include our discussions about our tour around the Sea of Galilee. So here we are with part one, that is my visit to the state of Israel and specifically our time in the city of Jerusalem. Well, hello, friends. Mark Harrington here, your radio activist, and I'm really excited about today's program. And uh, if you've been following me on social media in the last several weeks, you know I took a trip to Israel. I took a tour to Israel and did my best to try to uh, put that on social media without interfering too much with my own time there. I shot a lot of videos, posted a lot of pictures. And for those of you that didn't get an opportunity to see that, you can go to all of my social media platforms, Facebook, uh, also our podcasting platforms, because I did interview a pro-life leader last week on the show from Israel. I hope you, hopefully you enjoyed listening to her uh, and what we're up against there in Israel. But I wanted to take time because I've been unpacking my trip, not just literally from my you know suitcase, but I've actually been unpacking the trip in my mind and all the thoughts that I had when I was in Israel and since then. And I've put together some pictures and just trying to archive as best I can my experience. And as I was doing that, I'm thinking, you know, this may be something that my viewers and listeners might be interested in, in actually learning from. Because, you know, it's not all that often that we get a chance to go to the Holy Land. And uh, so I'm hoping you're going to be encouraged by today's program as we kind of walk through my recent trip to Israel. Uh, and, and my guest today, and actually the leader of that trip, is Tom Short. And Tom has a ministry called Tom Short Campus Ministries. And I met Tom, and I, you know, I don't know exactly the year, and I'm, I'm trying to recall. I know there might be some difference of opinion as to where I met him. But I met him in the state of Florida on a campus. Uh, he was doing his normal evangelism tours of uh, college campuses. And, of course, I was doing our pro-life outreach, and I listened to him and heard him on campus preaching the gospel. And I came up and introduced myself and found out he's from Columbus, Ohio, which is my hometown. How odd was that? And we've been friends ever since. And we, my wife and I wanted to go to Israel three years ago, and we couldn't because of COVID. Like a lot of us, we were locked down. Uh, we wanted to go for our 30th anniversary, and we didn't get to. And so we kind of put it on the back shelf until last fall and we started thinking about going and initially i was thinking i'm going to plan my own tour that's kind of how i do things and then i remember that tom leads a group to israel i thought well hey let's check into that and it just so happens there were a couple slots left and my wife and i got on the tour and we went to israel uh this time around and we were very very happy we did uh, and so, you know, the people ask, have you ever been to Israel? Well, I was there 
34 years ago. It's a long time. I actually went over there. I, I met my wife in Europe and I proposed to her in Paris at the Eiffel Tower <laughs> in 1989 in August. Pretty awesome thing. She said yes. Thank God. <laughs> and I went off to Israel for two weeks. But it's been 34 years since I was there. I was looking through my journal and it said uh, at the end of it, uh, that is 34 years ago, at the end of the journal, it said, Paula and I will return in two years. <laughs> well, it's been 34, <laughs> but we did get to return. And I'm glad we waited because it was well worth it because uh, Tom Short leads an amazing tour to Israel. And and so what we want to do today is is kind of go through that as best we can. We'll try to move through it as quickly as we can without missing too much, because obviously you can't do it justice. We're there eight days. We're going to multiple sites per day. We're going to pick some of the high points, if you will, at least from my perspective. And we're going to get Tom's point of view and mine as well as we go. So, hey, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the program today. So glad to be here. And I'm going to have to hear more about how you met your wife in Europe, but leave, leave that for another time. Well, I didn't meet her there. I had, you know, we were dating before we got there, but okay. yeah, that was quite a story anyway. Right. So um, it was a wonderful thing. And I would have loved to return two years later, but as the Lord had it, 34 years later, it worked just well. And I, I told you, Tom, you asked me how it went. I really think it was the uh, the best trip of my life. I, I mean, I'm 63. <laughs> I've been around a while. I've done a lot of traveling. Uh, but I tell you this, it was life changing for me, and I'm sure it was for a lot of the people on the tour. And so uh, what, what I'd like to do is try to go through this as best we can from day one through day eight. We went to a lot of places. We flew into Tel Aviv and then we all met in Jerusalem at the Olive Tree Hotel. And then the first day we went out into uh, actually we got a view of the old city to fir first thing. And then we went to Bethlehem and, you know, I've not been to Bethlehem. I wasn't there 34 years ago. So this was a new experience for me. Uh, the first thing that struck me is that you had to go through a checkpoint, that this uh, is a place that's, if I understand correctly, it's part of the West Bank. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Muslims uh, control it. And Bethlehem, the city is in Muslim uh, territory. So, our uh, our tour guide couldn't make it. <laughs> they, they had he had to step outside the bus, if you remember. But we went to the Church of the Nativity. Uh, I had not been there. Uh, and, and if you would, Mr. Producer, pop up that picture. Uh, this is where uh, it is claimed that uh, Jesus was born. So if you would, Tom, you shared a little bit there. Our tour guide did as well. What what impressed you the most? about the Church of the Nativity and being there in Bethlehem. This is a church that has been, is the oldest functioning church in the world. Yeah. And that's, that's quite a thought that it has been functioning as a church for over 1,500 years at that location. It's gone through quite a bit, of course, with uh, the Holy Land has, you know, seen wars, seen conquest by Muslims, and then the, and then the uh, Crusaders, and it's gone back and forth. But the oldest oldest uh, church. Now, can I mention, if maybe I could, uh, about these spots, like, was this the yeah. actual spot Jesus was born? It's very right. interesting how they, we don't know for sure, but there's a lot of reason to think so. The reason is that after that, you know, first hundred years or so, 
the Christians would talk about these places. And in 135 AD, the Roman emperor Hadrian, who hated the Christians, came mm-hmm. and he found out where the Christians thought, like Jesus was born, crucified, so forth. And when he found those places, he built a pagan temple right on top of them to mm-hmm. desecrate those spots. Right. Well, it was later on after Constantine was converted, his mother-in-law, she came and tore down those pagan temples and built Christian churches on top of it. So there's reason to believe these are the spots. We don't know exactly, but there's solid traditional reason on both sides. Those who hated Christ and those who loved Christ uh, came to those. And if you're watching the program, you can see the picture of me looking at the star. Uh, explain that site, Tom. It's it's kind of unusual. It's underground, right? I mean, it's <laughs> under the, uh, I don't know, you wouldn't call it the pulpit of the church. Uh, explain what we're looking at here. Well, it would be the, in Nazareth, People had caves that they would stay, there were caves there, and their homes would be built over caves. And so, and lots of times these caves areas would be where their their uh, their livestock were kept. And so it's mm-hmm. believed that Jesus actually was the manger, and the birth Mary was actually in a cave uh, okay, system. Right. And, and um, that would have been where that is, they think, the spot. You see there's, on that star, there are 14 points, which represent the 14 generations found in Matthew chapter one uh, from what Abraham to David, David to, to the uh, uh, captivity and then, then to Jesus. Yeah. So the, that was our first stop, the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. Uh, again, that was a, and we all sang in that cave. Remember that? I forget what song we sang. Do you remember? We might have sang Oh Holy Night. I believe that was we sang. it. Yeah, and it's and one thing we love to do there is sing because like when you're down in a cave, the acoustics are unbelievable as it resonates through that whole area. And then we left and we went to the shepherd's field. Uh, explain what that was. Now I don't have a picture of that. The uh, the next picture will be of the shrine of the book. But yeah. as we left, we went out to the shepherd's field. What was that all about? Well, that's the place traditionally believed where the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night and mm-hmm. would have uh, would have gotten the message from the angels to come mm-hmm. and uh, that there's a child born and to come worship him. It's, you know, you're standing right at the place. Again, we don't know that exact, but it was, probably wasn't far away. It may have been within a quarter mile. It might've been right on the spot, but these are the places where, well, not only the shepherds, but that's where David would have David. raised his sheep. And some of the thinking that went into his psalms and some of his testing as a young man right there in Bethlehem um, as well. Isn't that where it's believed that he took on Goliath too? Uh, no, that's at Elam, that uh, the Valley of Elam, yeah, which is okay. over closer to Jerusalem. Yeah. I must not have been paying attention that morning. <laughs> we, did, <laughs> anyway. we, did, we did not go to the spot where David fought Goliath, but okay. maybe one of these years. Well, again, another, you know, we started the tour out in the right way, obviously going to the birthplace of Christ. And then we went to the Shrine of the Book, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are are kept. Uh, This is at the Israel Museum. And if you're watching again, you can see there's a picture of me in front of it. Uh, It looks like a giant plunger. 
<laughs> Honestly, it's not. It's 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 a, the lid to a clay pot. That's what it's supposed to resemble anyway. But this is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept. Uh, explain those. And we're going to get into Qumran as we get later into the program. But uh, the importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were discovered uh, in a cave up in an area called Qumran beginning in about 1947 by a shepherd boy who was looking for a lost goat and he discovered mm -hmm. them in this cave. It turned out to be one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of all time because these were scrolls that were copied by Jews known as the Essenes who had separated themselves. They believed the, the, everything becomes so corrupt. They had isolated themselves and were waiting for the coming of the Messiah and his judgment. While there, they copied scrolls of the Old Testament and other important writings to them, and they hid them in these caves. And this was pre-Jesus. These were B.C., and they were discovered almost 2,000 years later. And we find that they included copies of the Old Testament that, that people had wondered for years had the Old Testament changed through the years. All the, We had hundreds and hundreds of years with no... Uh, from when it was written to the oldest manuscripts, people thought it would have changed. But when we discovered these old, old manuscripts, they discovered it hadn't changed. So uh, a, a strong apologetic for our confidence in the in the validity of the, the credibility of the scriptures. Yeah, and interesting there as well is that they were discovered in 1947, right? One day, one year before the uh, recognition of Israel as a nation, isn't that right? Correct. Had they been discovered 100 years later, you wonder if they would have ever even seen the light of day because they're so critical to even to show that Israel has a right to this land because uh, it shows that God gave them in the Old Testament scriptures, God gave that to them. And that might have never come to the light of day had had uh, these been discovered at another period of time. So that was day one. So let's move to day two. We went to the city of David. Again, 34 years ago, I wasn't there. Frankly, I don't know how much excavation was done uh, at that time. But what intrigued me so much about the city of David is that it's so far down underneath all of what's there currently, as you can imagine. Uh, you know, centuries now have passed where Jerusalem's been destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt. And what you see currently today in contemporary Jerusalem is not what it looked like way back in the day. So the city of David uh, explained some of the impact there and the pool of Siloam, which I thought, again, was a really powerful uh, apologetic to the to the fact that this the Bible is true and uh, and reliable. So there would have been no excavations of the city of David when you were there 34 years ago. This has right? all been in about the last 20 years that mm. all of this is, and, and it is the number one archaeological site in, in Israel today, as I understand it. Mm. What you're looking in there is called the Canaanite Cave, which was yeah. a way that they traveled in and out of the city underground years ago. As you mentioned, in those days when, when a city would be destroyed, they would just tear everything down and then they just build on top of it. And so archaeological discoveries, you, you go down like there's several civilizations buried underneath the city of Jerusalem because mm -hmm. it goes back in time well over 3,000 years. And right. so this is a cave called the Canaanite cave that is one of the ways it would have been into the city, uh, a, a secret way into the city. Well, about 3,000 years, well, 
not quite 3,000 years ago. The city of David, now keep in mind, the Bethlehem is sometimes called the city of David, but that's not what we're referring to. Right. Uh, here we're talking about where David came and established his palace, and it was just south of what is where the temple would be built. The mm-hmm. temple was built, we may talk about this in a minute, but so many things happened there. That's where Abraham offered up Isaac. That's where then the temple was built. And it was also where Jesus was crucified, all in this Temple Mount area. And so David's palace was just south of there, and uh, but then he built the, the temple up there. You ask about and then the, the pool, pool of Siloam, which I felt was again very uh, interesting. Tell us some recent news about the pool of Siloam. Well, so a lot of the uh, a lot of what is the archaeological treasures, as we said, it's buried under um, underground, mm-hmm. and and um, Jerusalem, as we know, is a is a city that's quite contentious. There is the Arab part called East Jerusalem that uh, Mm -hmm. Arabs have, they live there. And then there's the old city and modern Jerusalem, which the Jews have control of. Um, They realize that many of the archaeological treasures are in this Arab area. And so Jewish people have tried to raise money to buy their homes and then be able then to uh, uh, excavate and, uh, and, and search underneath. Finally, after a, quite a while, a number of areas were, were bought right there. It was called this Pool of Siloam, and it's now being excavated. just started weeks before we got there. The Pool of Siloam was where Jesus healed a blind man. And it's also where what's known as the Gihon Springs, which, uh, which provided water to Jerusalem and were redirected. When they were about to be besieged by the Babylonians, it was redirected so that the water would come into the city so that they wouldn't all die of thirst when the enemy besieged the city. And uh, that's the, just one of, the archa- one of the engineering marvels of ancient history is known as Hezekiah's Tunnel. We didn't go through it because it was a little chilly that day, and so we decided not to. And it rained quite a bit the week before. But I've been through it a couple times before, and, uh, and it's an engineering marvel because they redirected the water that was flowing out of the city to flow into the city so that they would have a source of water once the enemy came to besiege them. My guest is Tom Short, and you can find out more by going to TomThePreacher.com. And we're talking about our Israel trip uh, that I just took with my wife and, and, and part of his tour, annual tour to Israel And I exhort you folks, if you're interested in going to Israel, you need to get on Tom Short's uh, tour here. He already has dates for next year. And I'm thinking, boy, I really want to come back. (laughs) I don't want to take up a seat of somebody who hasn't gone yet, but uh, I would love to return to Israel and I'm planning on it someday. But those dates are fit. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say that we have not updated our website for next year yet. Right. So uh, it has a pretty similar itinerary, but. The dates would be February February 7th through. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Listen, folks. I mean, I can't I can't uh, recommend it more highly (laughs) because uh, not only the just the history and all the Bible sites and everything you learn when you go to Israel, but the guide. Ishai, it was awesome. I hope you get him again next year, really. I could sit and listen to him for days, frankly. I mean, I just just pouring out. Just so much information and knowledge, and what a great guy. And, of course, you, Tom. I mean, 
you know, we say that the Bible comes alive in Israel. We understand that the Bible's already alive. We understand that. And I like the way that you kind of characterize it. And then you've said this, that, it, you know, you think about the Bible, it might be just in black and white, but when you go to Israel, it's like color and, and HD, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just really does bring so much home. Even now, as I read the scriptures, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was there. It just adds a whole nother layer, layer of understanding uh, and I guess really strengthen, strengthens your faith. Uh, so let's move to day three. It's going to take us a while to get through all these days, but I'm enjoying the, uh, the you know, walk through our, our time together. So we went to the Mount of Olives on day three. Who can, uh, you can't go to Israel and not go to the Mount of Olives. Well, of course, so much happened there in Jesus's ministry. And by what the way, the title of the, uh, of the trip to Israel was Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus. So Tom made it a, a purpose to try to look at the specific things that Jesus did in the in the Holy Land and try to go to as many places uh, as Jesus did, because there's a whole lot of other stuff to see in Israel. And I'm glad that that was the focus. And of course, the Mount of Olives is a, is a place that you must visit. And so, Tom, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, just the Mount of Olives, number one. We're going to look at Gethsemane as well, the Via Dolorosa, the Garden Tomb. But first of all, let's talk about the Mount of Olives. And folks, again, if you are watching this, you'll see there's a picture of me looking at the old city at sunset. I can tell you there has never been a more impactful time in my life to be able to sit there and just take an hour or two, look at it, contemplate what Jesus went through in that last week of his life, read the Bible. I mean, to me, it's just like one of those moments that you'll never, ever forget. So, Tom, we, we, we went to the Mount of Olives at the first. We went to the top, got a got a kind of a great view of the city from the Mount of Olives, which is where, you know, Jesus would have also seen. Then we went to Gethsemane. Tell us about the, uh, the and you spoke at Gethsemane. Uh, tell us about Gethsemane, uh, and then I want to talk about the Via Dolorosa. Well, of course, Gethsemane is where Jesus faced a tremendous test. Yeah. What struck me is that Jesus had so many opportunities to escape what he knew was coming. Mm. And at Gethsemane, when the word means olive, it means olive press. And of course, Jesus was pressed in his soul so much that he, uh, uh, as he is praying, he, he uh, sweat great drops of blood. I think this, right. what, what was it that Jesus was feeling there? Believe it or not, I don't think it was the pain of crucifixion that was weighing on him so deeply and distressing him. And, and actually the scripture says it was that he was terrified. Can you imagine Jesus? He was terrified at what was going on that night. And I think what it was, was he realized he was going to be bearing the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He, he was going to bear our sins and your sins and uh, to me, that's the awesome uh, the, of Gethsemane to consider what he did there. And, uh, and it was a terrifying thought, but what he endured for us. Right. And of course, at a lot of these sites, there are churches currently. This church is called the Church of All Nations. Uh, a lot of them Catholic churches. And, you know, I'm not Catholic, obviously, but... <laughs> 
I'm thankful that the Catholics put churches on some of these locations because they staked out the ground. Otherwise, who knows what would have happened to it, yeah. uh, you know, over the years in, in, in that. But then we went from there. Oh, so you got the Mount of Olives and then you go through the Kidron Valley up the hill into the old city, into the Via Dolorosa. Take us take to take my viewers and our listeners through that walk. And of course, before we got there, we were the pools of Bethesda. I know we can't That's talk right. about every, we can't talk about everything, but uh, I, meant, I <laughs> no. mentioned earlier that we like to sing, and the pools of Bethesda were the five porticos. And this is again an arc. We know that this was the spot. We asked earlier, right. do you know certain places the actual spot? Well, archaeology confirms that the man who said, "I I'd like to be healed, but I when the waters are stirred, I can't get in them." Uh, some others get in before me and Jesus healed the man right at this spot. We know that was it because archaeology confirms that that spot. But it's on the same basic pathway of the Via Dolorosa, the, the yes. St. Anne's Church and the, the Pool of De- Bethesda. Yes. And so this follows... take us through the seven. It's is it seven? Is it seven steps of the Via Dolorosa? Is that correct? Well, the, more? the Catholics have about 14. I believe there are. Okay. I've wondering. forgotten exactly. I think there's nine in the Bible okay, uh, and, and several, have, you know, uh, but this is basically the, the walk of Jesus being tr- uh, from Caiaphas's house. And, and tell then, us what, what gate do we go through? Is it the new gate? I'm forgotten. Because <laughs> you get the east, eastern gate is the one that is shut. That the Muslims. Yes, that's, up, right? that's where he's going to come back. And that's where the Muslim uh, is it, cemetery no, this is, where, is nearby. Through Kidron, we go through the Lion's Gate. Okay, Lion's Gate. That's right. Yes. Okay. So Kidron into there the Lion's go. Gate. And then you go, <laughs> it leads into the Muslim quarter where we have Bethesda and mm-hmm. the Church of St. Anne's where it's incredible acoustics and we sing. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, the Via Dolorosa is the basically the walk of Jesus from his trial before Pilate and then on to Herod. And and uh, as he's taken step by step all the way to Golgotha. And uh, and that would be the final step in the Via Dolorosa. And it ended up at the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And of course, and I don't want to get too far into this, but there is a dispute as to where Jesus was crucified, where he was buried and where he was resurrected. I think you agree with me that uh, the Garden Tombs probably the authentic uh, location. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but either way, uh, along the way, you'll there are different. Uh, the stages of the cross are put on the wall in, in stone, and you can stop along the way. And of course, during Passion Week, that is reenacted every year. And we we went along that to the Via Dolorosa. And then, I, if I'm correct here, again, I'm trying to piece all this back together. I think we ended up at the garden tomb at the end of the day. Is that right? Correct. Or not? Okay. So let, yes. let's talk about that. Let's talk about the garden tomb and, and what, you, what you shared with us and why you think that is the authentic uh, burial place of Jesus, uh, crucifixion grounds and burial place of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Again, we don't know for certain, and what I would say is I'd like to believe this is the spot, because it has not been developed, and it really reminds you of what it very well could have been like. There's a place there, uh, when they crucified, they didn't put it up on a hill, but Golgotha, there's a place there 
in the right. garden. Go, go to the hey, hey, Mr. Producer. Go to go to the next picture because I want to talk about Golgotha. I've got a photo of the of the side of that hill. Go ahead and explain what what people are seeing on the screen here. Now please. I don't know if you can see two eyes right there, right in the mm-hmm. middle. Yeah, and uh, and the nose actually fell off during an earthquake here about a hundred hundred years ago. But this okay. looks like a skull. This yep. looks like a face. And mm-hmm. when you look at it, particularly if you would have seen pictures from 100 years ago, it really looks like a skull, which led uh, explorers about 100 years ago, 150 years ago, to wonder, could this be the real Golgotha? Mm-hmm. Then they found, not too far away, they found an empty tomb that really could have been and seems to fit the descriptions of the uh tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We can go in this tomb. We can see where yeah. where it's very possible that Jesus Christ laid for three days before he rose from the dead, which I might add is quite an experience to stand at that spot. Few yeah. other greater spots in the world to stand at than right. I can't think of a more important spot. And so, so some of the archaeological discoveries and then the locations where, where the Bible says that the cross was and the tomb was fit with what with with the biblical description. So traditionally, it's thought that the uh, place of the cross and the burial of Jesus was in what's known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And mm-hmm. there may be. There's a reason to believe that. Primarily, like I said, tradition, as I explained earlier, with uh, Hadrian and, and Constantine's mother-in-law. On the mm-hmm. other hand, this more recent discovery uh, very well could be the place, and whether it is or not, it it would depict what it would have been like in those earlier days, in the time of Jesus. And, and friends, if you're looking at the photographs, it's what's really interesting about this is that the uh, the place of the skull is right next to a bus station. <laughs> that just seems kind of odd, but it's not far outside the gates of the city. In fact, Damascus Gate is right there, which would have been, of course, the gate that's there today is not the gate that Jesus would have passed through. That's about 20 feet below, which has been excavated, and you can see it right there. It's likely that Jesus passed through those gates up to the garden tomb and to this place called the uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull. So it was outside the city. And explain, Tom, why, you know, the, the Romans wanted to, when, when they crucified a criminal, they did it close to the city gates. For what reason? Well, they wanted people to see it. Mm-hmm. The crucifixion was meant to be a statement. You don't want to be like this guy. Uh, right. we, if you follow him, you could end up like this. And it was meant, right. I mean, when, when we execute a person, we make it really quiet and and hidden and uh, we inject them with something that makes them fall asleep. We make it very, very gentle as much as you can. When they mm-hmm. did it, they made us as terrible as it could be because their executions were meant to scare and terrify the people. And so when you're walking by, this is on the road to Damascus and leaving Jerusalem to Damascus, a well-traveled road. And as people would walk by there, they're seeing those that are crucified really pretty much at eye level, maybe just a few feet above. They're not way up on a hill where you can't see them. You can see them vividly. You can see their eyes, their face. And of course, they're hanging there naked, shamed, embarrassed. And it's a statement that uh, uh, you don't want to be like this guy. Hey, let me add the reason for the bus stop here. This is actually an Arab Muslim territory. 
And they don't really like the idea that Jesus was crucified. They don't agree with that. And they don't like that this place is seen as that. And so they're they're not, the the garden tomb has tried to purchase this area and tried to make this part of it. They won't let them. And when I've been there in the past, up at the top, there have been big signs about Islam that anyone looking at it, it would basically, uh, you know, there's only one God and, and Muhammad is God's messenger these big signs uh, were there. So the bus is below, the signs were above, but Golgotha's right in the middle. Yeah, and I remember asking you, why hasn't someone tried to reconstruct the, the, the skull to make it look a little more like a skull? And that was the answer, is that the, the Muslims don't want anyone to do that right. <laughs> because they don't want to give any more evidence to Christianity than is already there. So that you know, that's the garden tomb. I have to say, the Mount of Olives and Garden Tomb are the two places that I find, for me personally, I was able to take some time. As you know, Tom, we spent two extra days there with my wife and I. And I was able to go back and re- revisit both of these locations, and a great place to just take some time for devotions and prayer. What a beautiful location! What a wonderfully quiet spot. And like you said, you kind of hope that this was the location because it seems fitting that our Lord would be crucified and buried and raised from the dead there. So that's day three in Jerusalem. I'm talking to Tom Short, and you can find out more by going to Tom the Preacher. We're talking to uh, TomThePreacher.com. We're talking about our trip to Israel and the tour that he led as part of his uh, ministry. Uh, We're trying to go through this day by day. So let's go to day four and again, I'm going off memory mostly here, Tom. But if I recall, I believe we began with the Western Wall and the Wailing Wall. If you would explain, there's a picture right on the screen here kind of showing that with the Dome of the Rock in the background. If you would explain what is the Western Wall, which, first of all, I didn't realize there was a difference between the Western Wall and the Wailing Wall until I went there. <laughs> I've always thought they were one of the same, and they are connected, of course. But explain what we're looking at here. Well, this is the, as you can see up at the top, is the Dome of the Rock, which is mm-hmm. a very holy place for Muslims. Now, right. Mo- Jerusalem is not in the Quran, but they believe that Muhammad uh, ascended to heaven from there and got visions from, from this spot, from a rock there. Um, and so they built this great temple on the spot where the temple, they built their great mosque on the spot where the temple once stood. It's called the Dome of the Rock. And, yeah, the and I have other pictures of that. So we're going to talk a little bit more about But If you would talk about the, the wall there right to the left, the lower part is the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Yeah. And so this would have been the foundation of the Temple Mount. Of course, when, when in 70 AD, the, the, uh, temple was destroyed as Jesus had prophesied and and said in Matthew chapter 24 that there would be times of destruction. He wept Mm -hmm. over Jerusalem at the Mm -hmm. destruction that was going to come. And indeed, the Roman legion came and totally destroyed the city. The entire temple, every, every stone was torn down. But this wall that you see is the foundation shall we say, upon which the, the temple would have been built above it. And this would have been all that would remain of, of uh, for Jews of, of a holy spot, shall we be, because the, the temple is destroyed. But these bricks remain as the foundation of where the temple once, the mount that, that upon which the temple stood. 
Right. And, and I had the opportunity, as did many of us, to, to pray there. Uh, you have to put on a head covering. I just put my baseball cap on. <laughs> it went up. And you can write a little prayer on a piece of paper and stick it into the cracks between the stones. I wrote two prayers. One was that Jesus would reach Israel and convert Israel. And then the other was that there would be a, an end to abortion. Uh, and I put those in the uh, in the <laughs> in the Wailing Wall, and we pray that God will honor that. Uh, of course, it, it's a fascinating location because that's where uh, mostly, and not all just Orthodox Jews, but that's where they go each day. Now, why do they wail? Why is it called a Wailing Wall? Well, I might let you answer that one. <laughs> well, I think I know the answer. Uh, it's because they're wailing over the fact they don't have a temple. Yeah. yeah. To worship it or to, to yeah, this is all they have left. Yeah. yeah so, it, I mean, it, a lot of people are thinking that there will be another temple. I'm not going to go down that road right now. I think that's something we could talk about on another day. But let's go to the next photograph. This is a picture of the uh, Dome of the Rock. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, here it is. This is a picture of the Southern Steps. I don't know if we went directly there from the Wailing Wall or not. But the Southern Steps, this was a very powerful moment of the tour, Tom, for me. You were able to preach from there. Uh, Explain your message, because I I really was taken by this time and this view. Yeah, so much happened here in these Southern Steps. These were the steps leading from the city of David up to the temple. When in the Psalms, where you have the songs of ascent, they would sing those as they walked from the city of David up to the temple. This was also the place where many rabbis would have their students gather around them and mm-hmm. they would they would talk. It's very likely the place where Jesus uh, cried out his eight woes unto the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. One of his condemnations, he said, you're like whitewashed sepulchers, outwardly right. beautiful marble, inwardly right. dead men's bones. Even so, likewise, outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're filled with all greed, lust, hypocrisy, and so on. Now, if you'll notice, you can't quite see at this, but behind here is the Mount of Olives. You could zoom in on the Mount of Olives behind me, if it's possible. There you go. That's the Mount of Olives, and you can see up there towards the left, well, those are white-washed sepulchers. That cemetery is 3,000 years old. Now, not everyone born there, not everyone buried there is from 3,000 years, but that, there are people there who were born from, or buried there 3,000 years ago. Obviously, they would have been there when Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees. And now there's about 150,000 people buried on that mount. But mm-hmm. you see, when Jesus would have called them whitewashed sepulchers, just right off there to his, you just turn your head to the right and you mm-hmm. say, is that what he's referring to? It probably is. You see how it, how it, again, it made that claim just seem like, oh, I see why he said that now. Made it come alive in a fresh way. Yeah, and also you shared that this might have been the location to which Jesus was speaking with the rabbis, right, when he was 12 years old. I thought that was another insight that was interesting. Yeah. Share, well, share on that. What's interesting, it says that when, you know, when uh, Mary and Joseph left and Jesus wasn't with them and they came back, when he was age 12, and they found him. It said he was seated uh, in the, with the rabbis uh, asking, uh, asking and answering questions. 
an interesting thing about Jewish tradition. The teacher would be seated and the learners would be standing around asking questions and interacting with them. And just an uh, interesting point there that says Jesus was the one seated at age 12 teaching very likely right on these very steps at that was was what that happened right there. And his answer to his parents when they were, you know, tried to figure out where he was and came and found him is that I had to be about my father's business. So <laughs> what a powerful moment. Well, everybody, I hope that you enjoyed our uh, talking about our trip to uh, Israel with Tom Short. Uh, it was hugely impactful for me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed us going through that day by day. This was part one, which was our visit to Jerusalem. Later on in the next weeks or so, we're going to be releasing part two, which will be our time in the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent the majority of his life and the majority of his ministry uh, in, in that location. So you've been listening to your radio activists on the Mark Harrington Show. You can find out more by going to markharrington.org. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.